Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that continues to celebrate the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. Thank you for listening at 103.1 or on your favorite podcast or YouTube or Facebook or Super Talk TV. Uh, we really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy day to celebrate Coastal Mississippi and to, to learn with me and Kyle uh, from our guests. Um, it, we really, really appreciate it. Hey, let me ask Kyle to come in for a second. Kyle, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing, I'm doing really good. You know, because I came from the media business, I have conversations all the time on my Facebook page about the uh, the role of lack of trust is playing and sort of undermining our democracy. That people are really screaming for trustworthy trustworthy news, and um, one of the things I worry a lot about is the way that that our news feeds, especially on Facebook, Facebook, are being determined by artificial intelligence. In other words, they're they're based on what our likes are. They're feeding news and information into our feeds that they believe we want to see. So it makes it appear, uh, often it makes it appear that everyone in our news feeds agrees with us, which is not a good thing, actually, because there's it, it doesn't enable you to have a diverse point of view. And it also doesn't enable you to get access to news and information that other people have access to. You see that a lot too, don't you? I have totally tricked the algorithms. I purposely went out of my way to not like anything that was politically adjusted or anything to that nature. Just about every other news event I have on my feed is from the dodo about rescuing animals and deer getting stuck in fences <laughs> and dogs being rescued and stuff like that. And then it also looks like I really care about what other people in the radio industry is talking about. I really just kind of do it just to see what's going on. But yeah, that's, that's cool. That's cool. It's, a, it's a nice little experiment, actually. But, you know, in, a, in my conversation with Jeremy England, the senator from District 51 on Wednesday, <clears throat> I shared a quote with him that I had shared with him back in, you know, the first time we talked, June and July. And it was this. It was from Mark Twain. It says, it's easier to fool people than to convince them they have been fooled. And that, I find that a lot, actually, that once people have really bought into the conspiracy theory, man, it's, it's extremely hard to unwind that, isn't it? Ah, for the most part, all you have to do is talk with any type of convention, conviction, authority, and at least sound like you're, you're true or know what you're talking about, and they'll believe you. Well, I hear this all the time. I know someone who knows someone who knows someone. Like, we're going to have Dr. Congren in just a second. Someone would say, I know someone who knows someone who's, who's really good friends with Dr. Conger, and yep. he says we shouldn't do this, or I hear that all the time. And but by the way, a friend of mine, Oscar Newton, posted this. He said, Never argue with a fool. Onlookers may not be able to tell the difference. That was another right. Mark Twain quote, but it's tr- that's also true. That's also true. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Kyle. Appreciate yep. it, buddy. Let, now let's shift gears and go to my friend, Dr. Nicholas Conger. He's an infectious disease internist at Memorial, and he's been on the show so many times I've lost count. But you've been a good friend, uh, Nick, and I appreciate the work that you've done not only on behalf of your patients, but, uh, but, uh, but on behalf of the health community here in coastal Mississippi. I mean, reminding us important that the uh, work that health professionals are doing every day 
you know, they're the heroes uh, and you've been good to d- deflect that. I mean, you were among them, but you deflect that and said, no, no, the nurses and all these people that have to go and deal with these people he- head on every day. They're, they're the heroes, but thank you for being on the show and thank you for what you do. Oh, thank you. It's good to be back. And maybe us two fools can have a decent conversation today. <laughs> Well, you, you, that, it, but you know what I mean? I mean, I, you know, yeah. it's interesting. It's so interesting how there is this blend of trustworthy news sources with news sources that are not trustworthy. And as a result, no one trusts any of it. Or unfortunately, too many people trust the untrustworthy stuff. But you see a lot of misinformation, don't you? Right. Yeah. You know, we see a lot of misinformation and, and well, and also we see a lot of, you know, politicization, I guess, of information, you know, so you get information and you can do with it what you want. Uh, but pretty much, you know, yeah, I've heard some people say, you know, if whatever you believe, if you believe something, you can go out and find a video that on YouTube or something that proves what you believe. So, you know, if you believe something polar opposite of someone else, you can find something that supports your position and makes you feel better about it. And, well, and uh, that, that, that's true. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it is true. And that's why that's why I'm on this show and in my media consumption habits, I try to go to sources that that you can trust. I mean, I trust you greatly because it is you know, I don't have to learn through someone else what Nick Nick, you know, Conger has to say about it. I can come st- directly to you. And you're an infectious disease doctor who's been in the throes of the pandemic from the very beginning. You've seen the life and death and the struggles and You've seen uh, what happens when people aren't following the, uh, the the guidelines. You know, look, just to remind people, the same ones that's been there all along: wear a face mask, wash your hands, socially distance, no close talking, so to speak, and especially protect the vulnerable. We've we've known all these things from the very beginning, but man, there's been so many people and organizations and political movements that have tried to drive a wedge in America, making us believe different than what we know the facts to be and that those are the tools we need. Like, for example, the face mask. The face mask is a really important tool. It's not the only tool. It's not going to stop it by itself, but it's an important tool. And I had someone posted the other day, you know, I'm not wearing a face mask and, you know, that they don't work. And that's someone in denial. And that's actually someone who may risk giving it to their loved ones or people that they, they really care about. You hear a lot of debate about that, don't you? Yeah, you know, for sure. And, um, and I, and I get it. Like I, I, I'm tired of wearing a face mask. I know people are tired of wearing a face mask, but I think you said it correctly. You know, they help, they don't, they don't cure the problem. Now, interestingly, you know, as an aside, we've seen hardly any flu this year. I mean, insanely low numbers of flu, like thousands times less numbers of cases. And so the, you know, the face masks clearly stop that virus. Uh, but the, you know, and they don't, they don't clearly stop coronavirus because those numbers continue to rise with it. Uh, but it does slow down the spread. It definitely does slow down the spread, um, and it's worth doing. Um, but it's not the end-all, be-all. You know, staying, staying away from people when you're sick is the biggest factor that we see. Uh, people go to visit people in their homes without a face mask because they're in the homes of the loved one. And, oh, I just feel a little sick today. It can't be coronavirus. And the next thing you know, everyone in that home catches it. You know, that's really how it's being spread. The face masks are doing their job when people are out in public and all that, but it's really being spread within the home and within the workplace with people close to each other when they take the masks off. Yeah. 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 No. And, and of course we we've seen in some cases, very tragic outcomes for 
that family spread aspect, which is, as you pointed out from the very beginning, that, that aspect of dropping the guard has really put a lot of vulnerable people at risk. And, you know, that's something that you constantly remind us of. Hey, there's a, I want to get the latest, you know, you do a good job of sort of looking at the global situation. We're going to talk about the vaccines. We're going to talk about the numbers. We're going to talk about your, your direct experience. So there's really a lot to talk about. So why don't we start with this? In your read of your trade publications, what are you seeing in the numbers uh, literally around the world and especially in the U.S.? Well, the numbers are, uh, are, are downtrending everywhere, which is good. And there is a natural ebb and flow. And when, when, a, when a disease spikes, it will eventually, you know, come down because so many people have it and it's going to come down on its own. What's interesting is when you, when you look at the decline, at least when I looked at the state of Mississippi, our decline started to curve off and then it kind of dropped sharply. Now, I haven't looked in the last few days, but um, you know, that tells me that there was a natural curve down from the spike in the winter. But I think that the vaccination really helped drop it more dramatically, uh, which is a good thing. You know, the vaccines really do seem to be effective. And, and that's great news. I, can yeah. tell you, I have multiple, you know, personal people tell me their experiences all the time. And multiple people have told me about their spouse, you know, who they share a, a room with and a bed with having COVID. And they have not caught COVID, you know, after having had the vaccine. It's like, wow, reassurance that, all right, it really works because there's no reason why I wouldn't have caught it under those circumstances. So, so uh, let's talk about the vaccine and then we'll come back to some of what you're experiencing these days, uh, specifically as, as in your practice, but the vaccine. Okay. I did a uh, antibody test. I have a friend of mine who's in the medical industry and he brought an antibody test, one of the quick tests. Right. And I didn't, I did the antibody test and I had COVID back in October and I, I tested negative, completely negative for the antibody. So essentially three and a half to four months and, and the antibody is gone. And what that told me, and which means, uh, I'm assuming that means that I'm in play again. Is that what that means? Well, possibly. Okay, so that, that is one interpretation of that is that you may be in play. Uh, you may have had the vaccine wane. I know some people who donated blood and the, they've get, gotten quantitative levels of the, their antibody and they've watched it go down. But I do have to give you a caveat on that. That those antibody tests only usually test for one antibody, and there's multiple different ways your body can make an immune response. So we know several people who had uh, COVID and never showed positive on the antibody immediately, yet they haven't caught COVID again. And in fact, when they were vaccinated, they had a massive reaction to the vaccine telling, telling us that they, they probably had antibody to the spike protein that's in the vaccine, but not the antibody we tested for. So let's do, caution, some let's do- will have uh, antibodies that yeah. aren't up. We're coming to the end of the segment, so I want to make sure we talk about this part because this gives people direction on if you've had COVID and you're going to get a vaccine, what to expect and so on. Let's We'll come back to that in a second, but this is Dr. Nicholas Conger, an infectious disease doctor, and we'll be back after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Koshi. We have Dr. Nicholas Conger, a really good friend of Koshi. He's been on the show so many times. I've lost count. Really, really practical advice about COVID. And he lives in the trenches of, of the pandemic every single day. So he's sort of like one of the best resources we can go to to talk about, you know, what the latest is. We were talking about, I don't, I want to make sure we didn't lose this thought, but we were talking about the vaccine. And I mentioned that I had had uh, an antibody test. And it's good to hear, actually, that, that that's not definitive. You know, that may be, I've only sort of looked at it from one dimension. Doesn't mean that I still am not protected. Um, but let's go to this next part. I, t- I mentioned to you out the air that I've had a couple of people, a couple of friends who had COVID and then got the vaccine and had a really severe reaction to it. So number one, is that that doesn't surprise you. But number two, is there a period of time you should wait if you get COVID before you get vaccinated? Yeah. So, you know, the CDC came out right off the bat and said, consider waiting three months. And I was telling people I would definitely follow that advice, uh, because if you've had it within the last three months, it's pretty much clear that you should have antibodies and protective antibodies for at least that long. And it's probably honestly out to six months. There's some data to support that. And, and so I, I advised patients in that way. And I know some people similar to your situation where they checked their antibodies and it was negative. So they said, well, I'm going to get the vaccine. And they clearly had more vigorous reactions to that first shot, indicating that their body had some memory on how to fight off, uh, you know, that the spike protein in this case, which is what that vaccine uh, was uh, activating your body against. So, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely more vigorous response if you've had COVID. Now, the flip side is I know people have gotten vaccinated that said, I didn't feel anything. Is there something wrong with me? Did my immune system not work? And the answer to that is, you know, I don't know. I don't think that necessarily means you didn't uh, respond to the vaccine. Um, you know, I, I would just look at the numbers across the board. 95% of people are, are protected, which means there will be some cases. But the breakthrough cases we've seen so far are few. You'd expect it less than 5%. And they are very mild, which is good news as well. Well, look, okay, so um, as you know, I have a vulnerable mother-in-law with lung issues, and I have a mother who is also vulnerable who has lung issues, and they both now have gotten their second shot. The first shot for both of them, a little bit of body ache, you know, some pain where the shot was given, I think, uh, you know, kind of felt bad for about 24 hours, not anything severe, but, you know, 24 hours, they were better. Okay, then you get to the second shot. My mother-in-law, same kind of same kind of reaction. My mother actually, it was like three or four days, and then a really severe reaction. But it only lasted about twenty-four hours. That doesn't surprise you either, huh? No, no. We we see some people with that uh, that reaction right off the bat within the first twenty-four hours. But certainly, we've seen people have it delayed. And and to me, that's good news. If you have that reaction, that does tell you that, that you definitely uh, made some antibody, and your body knows how to respond. Like I said, the more difficult question is how do you counsel the people that didn't feel anything? Um, but uh, yeah, um, and you know they're they're learning with this vaccine. You know, so that second shot is meant to give you longer lasting immunity. Maybe that second shot doesn't need to happen that fast. Maybe it could be given two to three months later. We're just learning that now. And so the, those are some things that probably would have been hashed out if we spent two to three years studying this vaccine. But we did. You know, they spent two to three weeks to two to three months studying the vaccine. So it might be an imperfect schedule but it still seems to be working. Now, I can say evidence that it's working. I was going to tell you this, you know, we get about 10 consults every morning pop onto my phone. And I can tell you four weeks ago, nine out of 10 would be all COVIDs and there'd be one non-COVID patient. And then last night or two nights ago, it was 10 patients, only one COVID and nine non-COVID patients. 
Wow. That, that's a really good sign that things are they're good and better. What that tells me is that there's been with all the, especially because what you end up seeing for the most part are the vulnerable people. By the time they get to their consult, consult for you, they're having some issues and they need, they need you. <laughs> so it's vulnerable. And we've had such a, a concentrated effort to get the vulnerable vaccinated. That's got to be amazingly uh, good to see. Right. Yeah. You know, we like talked about being practical and following the data. And I've told you, you know, I really don't like these, like, um, like uh, how, where you're employed driving it. Let's just focus on the vulnerable because if you vaccinate, let's say you vaccinate everyone over 65. Yes. There are people under age 65 that, that might have a severe disease. They might get hospitalized, et cetera. But talk about offloading the hospitals, talk about offloading all the, the, the full ICUs, and then being able to open up to other surgeries and other medical procedures that have been neglected at this point, taking out that over 65 population from having COVID will do wonders for the hospital system and healthcare overall. And then we can start working on people under 65 with all those, uh, um, uh, you know, high risk factors, which we're doing now. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, getting the high risk people is clearly the best strategy and it's going to make the most bang for the buck, you know, across the health of our community. So. My wife, Ann, said to me as I was coming into the studio this morning, she said, uh, don't you have Dr. Conger this morning? I said, yeah, we do. She said, look, here's, here, ask him about this. One of, one of my mother-in-law's many doctors, um, you know, she, when you get older in age, you end up having you know, multiple doctors. He's, he took what I think is a more pessimistic view toward the outcome expected from the second shot. And I heard you say, first shot, get you protected. The second shot is intended to extend the protection, but he said you're only good for three months. Well, that's, that seems pessimistic. Yeah. I mean, like I say, we don't have data, long-term data, but, um, but certainly it looks like it lasts longer than that. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of a, I mean, again, I can't say exactly what literature that, that person was looking at, but, um, but when you look at these things, you know, you get the, well, you can't say, well, you can't say you're a hundred percent protected. Well, you can't. But you're probably 95% protected. Well, you, you, can't, you can't say with proof it's going to last three months. Well, we know with natural infection, pretty much zero chance of getting reinfected in three months. And if the vaccine's response is similar to that, then, then, then you should be. So I think time will tell. We're going to figure it out as we get, go along. We're going to find out. Do you need a booster in three months? Do you need a booster in six months, a year, or maybe never? We'll find <laughs> that out. Ooh, these new strains coming from other places. Do we need to tinker with the vaccine, kind of like we do with the flu vaccine? Or, or, uh, or can we stand pat with what we have? That stuff's going to be uh, figured out with time. I can just tell you, there's been a dramatic difference. You know, in our staff that have caught COVID, we, since we've started our vaccine program, we haven't had one staff member who was vaccinated catch COVID. All of our staff members who caught COVID have chosen not to get the vaccine. It was offered to them, they chose not to. So I'm not saying it's a cure-all, but, but it's, it's pretty darn, um, you know, I'm pretty darn optimistic about it. I mean, especially if you compare it to the flu vaccine, which is not near as effective as this one seems to be. Well, this is your area of expertise, and uh, I'm more educated about it because you've talked to me about it and you've taught me about it and you've caused me to want to read more about it. And what's amazing to me, you know, looking back now at is how fast and of course you pointed this out you know, many times, but how fast we got to a vaccine, how fast the technology has has been utilized and how many Different companies are going out to slightly different ways, some with one shot, some with two shots. They're just, but all of them are using sort of the latest technology. They're enabling us to sort of break down the genetic code of this in a rapid way. It's really incredible, isn't it? 
Yeah, that's right. You know, this this messenger RNA technology has been worked on for for years, which is why one of the reasons why the vaccine came so quickly. And and I'm not a bench researcher, and that's not my area of expertise. But as far as I know, now that they've proven the concept that you can send messenger RNA into your muscle, and it can make the teach your body how to make the antibody. They can wow. apply that to other infections and hopefully potentially come up with more vaccines to other infections quicker. It is. It is incredible. I was just thinking, for example, I had a woman on uh, last week who talked about uh, her child has a really just terrible genetic disease. And there are only 700 kids who have this particular d- d- uh, genetic disease. But she told me that, that while the one her daughter has is really rare, that over a million kids in America have genetic diseases. And, and in a lot of cases, they actually know what the cause is. They've actually you know, broken down the genetic cause. They just don't have the money to invest in, in finding the solution to that particular problem. But it's going to probably unlock all kinds of possible solutions uh, for way beyond just infectious diseases, isn't it? Well, yeah. So, so that's, yeah, that's similar technology. The idea of, of uh, injecting something to kind of reteach your body's genetic code, that's a little bit different than the messenger RNA vaccine for this, but it's a, of similar lines. And, and indeed, you know, if they can, if they could uh, work on that technology, there is the potential to have an impact on genetic diseases. Hey, listen, said, the- some of these are so rare, they almost need a benefactor pushing the research for each disease. Yeah, I, I, I hear that. Hey, listen, we got just probably about a minute left. Remind me how many different hospitals and facilities you have to cover in your work. Well, you know, uh, my colleague and I, Dr. Penico, um, you know, we work together at a memorial. I think there's, a, there's one infectious disease doctor out of Singing River that covers that area. But, you know, we, look, we cover the long-term care facilities. Uh, we cover Merritt Hospital as well. And then we cover Memorial. We cover the, the rehab, some of the rehab facilities like Encompass Rehab. So we essentially cover four institutions. Um, and, uh, you know, we just try to be as available as possible. Uh, you know, otherwise people have to go to um, New Orleans or Mobile if they want infectious disease care. And, uh, you know, we have uh, some fantastic nurse practitioners that really help extend our services uh, that are excellent at what they do. And um, so we just try our best. and We try not to turn anyone away. Well, you've, you've, it's been amazing watching it through your eyes, and we've been lucky to have you and your partner and all those, uh, all those members of your team that have been focused on this. You know, you don't ever wish a pandemic on a community, but if you do, you have to be honored and glad that you have the expertise you have because you're able to help people. And that's, at the end of the day, why you got into medicine to begin with. This is Dr. Nicholas Conger, an infectious disease doctor for Memorial. We really appreciate you joining us, buddy. Thanks for having me again. You bet. When we come back, we'll have Cindy Walker. Broadcasting safe and sound from the coastal Mississippi studios, this is Coast View View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.